Good morning, everyone. And thank you, Peter. Uh, to be a Christian today is tough. Uh, to follow Jesus and to fish, just picking up from what Mark shared with us last week, to, to follow Jesus and to tell people about Jesus in our culture and in our context, it, it isn't easy. It never has been. Nobody ever said it would be. But in the increasingly post-Christian society that we now live in, it, it seems to be getting tougher. I don't know if you think that's a fair comment to make. I'm not saying that our very lives are under threat in Belfast in 2018 for being a Christian, although we must never forget, and it was great to hear Peter pray for the persecuted church, but we must never forget that for millions of Christians in the 21st century, their lives and their freedom are in constant danger. Let me just read you something that was broadcast early in 2015 by Religion News Service. It said this, Christian persecution reached historic levels in 2014 with approximately 100 million Christians around the world facing possible dire consequences for merely practicing their religion. From imprisonment to torture to beheadings, more Christians worldwide live in fear for their lives than at any other time in the modern era. That, that's shocking. Open Doors, an organization that supports and serves the persecuted church, recently confirmed that every single month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches are destroyed. 722 acts of violence are committed against Christians every single month. In more and more places around the world, it is becoming increasingly difficult and dangerous to be a Christian. And we must never forget that. But for us, although we aren't under that kind of pressure, we aren't facing that level of suffering or persecution. Nevertheless, living for Jesus and speaking of Jesus in our environment, in our city, in our community, in our workplace, in our schools, in our universities, in our families, in our uh, social clubs, wherever it is, it is becoming increasingly challenging to believe in an exclusive message of salvation, to declare today that Jesus is the only way to God. That is unpopular. In fact, it's arrogant to suggest that sin is a universal human problem in need of God's forgiveness. It's narrow-minded, and quite honestly, as far as many people are concerned, it's pathetic. To affirm the sanctity of life, to promote Christian marriage, is more than likely going to invite a reaction, and probably a hostile reaction at that. You're going to be labeled as a bigot or intolerant. To hold on to biblical values and morals is to invite ridicule and rejection today in our society. To even read the Bible and to say that it's the Bible that shapes and informs my life. That is sad. To believe in a life after death, to warn people about hell in whatever form, is to be pitied. And so we could go on. To be a Christian today is tough. 
Christianity is heading for the margins if it's not already there. It is no longer generally accepted or deemed acceptable by the vast majority of people in the West. And although, as I've said, believers in Belfast today may not face life behind bars or torture or execution for being Christian, they do face a progressively intolerant culture in which we're all more likely to be judged and mocked and ostracized simply because we identify with and we follow Jesus. But in some ways, we shouldn't be surprised. Listen again to what Jesus told his original disciples about how the world, how people in the world were going to react to them simply because they chose to follow him. Jesus said this, if you were off the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not off the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, and this is strong, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. By virtue of our identity with Christ, we will suffer. And that has been, if you like, out there from the very beginning. If you identify with Jesus in our culture, in our context, if you stand up for Jesus, if you stand up for those things I just said a moment ago, you will suffer. Suffering on some scale is inevitable. And therefore, if we are going to continue to be and continue to survive as Christians, we are going to need to hang tough. We are going to need to stand firm. We are going to need to hear from God and discover what does God say in his word about this very issue. If God, Jesus has said the world is going to hate us, if we stand up for him, if we live for him, then we need to hear what has God got to say to us about living in a context and in a society that increasingly wants to marginalize us. And that takes us to 1 Peter a New Testament book that's made up of only 105 verses. And we're going to read it together for the next four months. It's a book that speaks into this very subject. It's a book that was written to a group of Christians who were not facing organized kind of state-sponsored empire-wide persecution. They weren't. Nor are we. But they were experiencing sporadic mistreatment, abuse, ridicule, and shame simply because they identified with Jesus and followed him. It's a book to me that seems as relevant today as it was when it was written. It's a book that is something that actually has a lot to teach us to ensure that we actually do hang in there, to ensure that none of us walk away, bail out, pack it in, or compromise our faith, which is the danger today. And there are so many casualties. And so if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to 1 Peter? If you have a hard copy or on a device, please turn to 1 Peter. But before we read the opening verses, let me take you to the last chapter. I want to almost take you to the end of the book, verse 12, where Peter urges his readers and his recipients, he urges us to do something. He tells them, to stand firm. Now, 
That should ring a few bells with anyone who followed our last major series in Ephesians because you'll remember that whenever Paul got to the end of his letter to the believers in Ephesus, he said exactly the same thing to them. He said to them, I want you to stand firm. He had said all the stuff that we looked at together. He then got to chapter six and he said, listen, I want you to stand firm, kitted out with the whole armor of God. Paul, like Peter, was well aware of the challenges faced by each and every Christian. He knew that they would be under constant threat of attack and compromise and temptation and hassle and pressure and crisis of identity. And therefore, he said to them, listen, I want you to stand firm. Otherwise, you're going to get knocked back, you're going to get knocked down, or you're going to get knocked off your feet. You need to stand firm. And so Peter here comes to the end of his letter, and he finishes with exactly the same parting shot and encouragement. Because he recognizes, do you know something? To be a Christian in today's world, it's going to be tough to remain upright. But I want us to notice here at the end of 1 Peter chapter 5 what it is that he urges his readers to stand firm in. Paul said, I want you to stand firm, kitted out with the full armor of God. Peter says, I want you to stand firm in something. And if you take nothing else away from what I share this morning, please take this. Because here is Peter's critical final advice to the believers that he was writing to. He said this, stand firm. Who can tell me in what? In grace. Stand firm and be the place of stability, the place of protection according to this apostle, the place where these believers needed to keep coming back to time and time again to get reestablished, refocused, re-energized, re-readed as they live out their Christian lives in this increasingly tough context and environment is the grace of God, the amazing outrageous grace of God. On our own, we have no chance. If we think we can hang in here in our own strength, we are beat. If we, any of us think we're something special and we can do this, then we're only headed in one direction and that's down. No, in the midst of trials and suffering, the moment whenever the ridicule and the abuse is being dished out and you're made to look like a fool or a freak, in the pressurized environment where you're tempted to compromise and jack it all in, do you know what you need to do? You need to stand firm in the grace of God. A grace that saves, a grace that keeps, a grace that sustains, a grace that leads us through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the twists and turns of life. A grace that is undeserved, a grace that is unconditional, a grace that delivers, a grace that we need to know and experience more and more, which is why, as we'll see in a moment, Peter starts his book by saying, may you, may God give you more and more grace. Stand firm, church. Stand firm, Windsor Baptist, in God's grace. There's a, there's a song at the moment that I keep playing. I cannot get it out of my head. I, I love it. It's called Blinded by Your Grace. And as I've been thinking about this morning and introducing this series, and specifically as I've been thinking about drawing attention to the amazing grace of God, I want to play this song, and I'm going to play it at the end of what I want to share. The guy who sings, it's called Stormzy. And for many people, that will mean nothing. 
And for others, it may seem surprising to consider playing one of his pieces of music in church. But I want to read you some of the lyrics. Because whatever else is going on in his life, whatever else is his story, these words that he sings capture something that I would love us to take away this morning, that we would once again celebrate the startling grace of God in all its brilliance, that grace of God that has come and saved us. And so here's just some of the lyrics. I'm going to play it later. Lord, I've been broken, and although I'm not worthy, you fixed me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. I said a prayer this morning. I prayed I would find the way to another day. I was so afraid till you came and saved me. You came and saved me and the rain was pouring because the sun faded away. Now I'm in a better place, no longer afraid, blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. I love this song. Absolutely love it. And as Peter writes, and as he finishes his letter to Christians who are living in a tough, non-Christian, anti-Christian environment and atmosphere, his big advice, his big message to them is, listen, I need you to be grounded. I need you to stand for I need you to be blinded, if you like, by God's grace. But what we need to do before I play that is we need to go back to the beginning. And as we often do, please stand with me for the public reading of God's word. First Peter, I'm going to just read the first five verses this morning. I'm only going to deal with the first two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise. It's the only natural reaction. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Grab a seat. I don't, I don't have time this morning to explain why I've chosen to call this series Hang Tough, although hopefully I've said enough that might indicate why, why I did. And I may say more about that next week, but I, I kind of want to dig in here because as Peter starts this letter, he begins by doing two things, and they're really important things. What he does is he reminds the believers who they are and whose they are. In some ways, this is a bit like the way Paul starts the letter to the Ephesian Christians. He begins by affirming their true ID, their identity. You see, because whenever you're up against it, whenever the going is tough, whenever you're under the caution, you're unsure of what to do, remembering and realizing who you are and whose you are is vital. You've got to know who you are and where you belong. And so Paul begins by addressing the people of God in two ways. As elect exiles. 
elect, comma, exiles or elect exiles. In other words, as we think about the first of those two terms, elect, they are those who have been chosen, as Peter goes on to say at the beginning of verse 2. Now, originally, that idea, that concept of a chosen people was applied to the Israelites and the Jews in the Old Testament. But as a result of a promise made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 and then again in 15 and then again in 17 that would have massive repercussions for all nations, as a result of that and as a result of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, like Peter and like Paul, taking the good news into all the world beyond boundaries, beyond barriers to all people groups, what they discovered was the Gentiles were now included. And Peter himself discovered this in that epic encounter with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and then the repercussions of it in chapter 11 and chapter 15. The gospel was spreading. The promise of God to bless all nations was coming true. Lives were being changed and the chosen people of God were growing and expanding. Most of those who read this letter of 1 Peter were Gentiles, scattered all over those five places that we just read together. But as people who had believed, as people who had come to faith, as people who had decided to follow Jesus, whatever way you want to put it, they were now identified as part of the elect. Every Gentile Christian could and should consider himself, herself, as being personally chosen by God. They were in this amazing privileged relationship. And so whenever they were up against it, whenever they were backed into a corner, whenever they were facing serious pressure or being laughed at, the importance of remembering their serious personal relationship with God, that had the potential to alter perspective and to change everything. God chose me. He's not going to forget me no matter what I'm going through. No matter how much I'm under pressure here to compromise, to pack it in, to walk away, to give up. No matter how intense the ridicule is. Or the fact that I'm being ostracized. Listen, God chose me. I am in this special privileged relationship with him. And he's never going to leave me. And if you have a Bible open, jump down to verse 20 because what Peter says here is the fact that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. Does that not mess with your head? Jesus was, you were chosen, but Jesus was chosen before the creation of this world. For those of you who do remember the, the series in Ephesians, you'll remember this verse. For he, that is God the Father, chose us in him, that is in Jesus, before the creation of the world. Listen, I, I totally appreciate there's a sense of mystery here. And, and that's all right. Sometimes we think we've got to explain it. There is a sense of mystery here. God chose you before the creation of the world. And me trying to explain that or me getting into conjecture about how we know who's chosen and who isn't chosen. One, that's not going to be easy. Two, it's never helpful. 
But the critical point that I want to stress this morning is this, that as we sit here as the people of God in this place at this time, is that, listen, we have been chosen with Christ, by God, with Christ, since forever ago. That is your identity. That is who you are. And if you can see that, if you can grasp that, if you can realize that, then I believe you will hang tough. You will stand firm in the grace of God that has come and saved you, chosen you. You are God's elect. Nothing, no one is changing that. Secondly, Peter refers to them as exiles that have been scattered throughout those five places. Now again, the idea of exile would have resonated with so many people in that culture and context. Because in the Old Testament, God's people faced a lengthy period of exile a long way from their homeland. They were taken to a place called Babylon, a hostile environment where they were under pressure to cave in and to conform, and where if they resisted at any kind of level, they experienced suffering. And so Peter picks up this theme here. And right at the start of this letter, he applies it to the Christians who are scattered through what is modern-day Turkey who, like the Jews in Babylon, found themselves now in a hostile environment where they were coming under intense pressure to fall away, to blend in with the surrounding culture, to just simply go with the flow. It all sounds so familiar. Because that's the environment we are in. Listen, Christian, just, can you just blend in? Can you just go with it? Can you just be more tolerant? Can you just be more open men? Can you stop standing up and spouting off for Jesus? Just blend in. Just let everybody live. Live and let live. And so Peter says to these people, he says, listen, you are exiles in those five places. Why am I calling you exiles in those five places? Because I do not want you to consider Pontus or Asia or Bithynia or anywhere else in this world as your true home. As Christians, as the chosen people of God, you now belong somewhere else other than this world. That this is not your true home anymore. Your, your real home is elsewhere. So in chapter two, and we'll get to that, in chapter two, Peter addresses them like this. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. A sojourner is someone staying temporarily. They're just a passing through. And that is these people's identity. And do you know something? Chosen people of God here this morning, this is our identity. We are sojourners, we are exiles. As Christians, we do not belong here. We live in this world as sojourners. Yeah, we, we did once belong to this world, but not anymore. Heaven is our true home. Our citizenship has shifted. And the moment the moment we lose that perspective, the moment we think this is home, the moment we begin to settle here is the moment we start to wobble. Especially when the heat gets turned up. 
If we forget that we're passing through, do you know what? We're gonna get distracted by this world and its lights and its attractions. And whenever this world puts us under pressure to pipe down and to rein it in and to keep the good news to ourselves, we will probably cave in because we have reached the place where we think, do you know something? Maybe this is all there is. I've taken the eye off where my true home is, where my true citizenship lies. I've become settled here and I've begun to blend in here and I've begun to adopt and adapt to the culture of here. You are, church, Windsor Baptist, you are elect exiles. You are the chosen people of God. You are citizens of heaven, not this world. So that's who you are. Whose you are is then emphasized in verse two. You belong to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although really interesting here in this incident, it's Father, Spirit, Son. And I know we could dwell on this for long enough, but let me put it like this. You were, and this is, this is the only way I know how to put this, you were chosen in eternity past by the Father. You have been set apart by the Holy Spirit, and you have been rescued by the blood of Jesus. You've been chosen in eternity past by the Father. You've been set apart by the Holy Spirit. You have been rescued by the blood of Jesus. Why have you been rescued by the blood of Jesus? Peter says, so that you would be obedient to Jesus, so that you will live for Jesus. And do you know what that means? Do you know what that is? Chosen, set apart, saved. Do you know what, do you know what that is? Grace, all grace. Not one of us deserve this. Not one of us have done anything to earn this. That is our reality and it is all because of and by God's grace. And when the going gets tough, which it inevitably will, as you live for Jesus in Belfast in 2018 and beyond, you will need to know who you are and chosen. You will need to know that this is not your home. You are a sojourner and an exile. You are just passing through. And you will need to know that you belong, that I belong to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Church, hang tough. Stand firm in God's grace. And may we all be blinded by it this morning. 